Welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Eternity is about to play a nasty little trick. Who's that? On the carefree kids of Pitchboard Co. Figure out what you're gonna wear to the party yet tonight. Demons arise. Come heed my bidding on this night of nights. Halloween, my favorite time of year. Ah! I'm not afraid of death. I'm going for it. The party could go on forever in the midnight hour. Next. Welcome back to the movie graveyard. The goat here rolling with Trev. Trev 3K, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. And this is, uh, you know, sometimes the movie Grave Bear is just a name, but it's very appropriate tonight for a very spooky episode, you know? Yeah. It's a movie graveyard episode about a graveyard movie, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, it's whenever we're here in the graveyard digging up these movies, it's always a little creepy, but tonight we got, uh, you know, it's going to live up to the name a little bit more. Big time spooky. And I, I've heard, I heard a rumor go too. I just wanted mm-hmm. to ask, you know, normally this is, you know, not that expensive of a podcast for us to do. We're not, right. you know, getting paid or anything. We're just doing it for our love of these films. But is it true that tonight's movie is the first time that just to record this episode, we had to pay a million dollars in music clearance rights? That is true. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and, the, and that's probably why this movie's so scarce. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the actual yeah, is- shooting budget was one fifteenth of the music budget. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we'll get into it in a second. So everybody, we are doing the Midnight Hour tonight. Um, I'm sure some people will be very familiar with this title. Others won't. Uh, we're going to get it started here to get the it's fun. It's kind of on. a unique title for us just in general, right? Because we don't, you, you don't really do TV movies that often. Not or at not. all, right? Is this our first TV movie? or? I mean, technically, me and Corey way back in the day did a miniseries. But I don't, okay. I don't think that's really the same as a self-contained TV movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have to talk about that during the movie. We'll have to educate some of our listeners what TV movies even are, I think. Exactly. Yeah, because, it, it, I mean, I don't know what our demographics are for this show, how young people are, but I would be really shocked if people under the age of 30 knew what a, like a legit TV movie was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so we'll get it rolling. We're actually, I have to say this, unfortunately, we're going to have to watch this on YouTube, but I guess yep. that's good because you guys can watch it too. This is not available commercially anymore, this film. It's not even available on like a streaming because I even looked to see if I uh, maybe I could purchase a digital version, which is something I never do. But I love this movie yeah. so much, I wanted to do it, and I could not find it at least on the the services. Yeah, I mean, uh, I have movies on. Maybe you're lucky and you picked up that Anchor Bay DVD when it came out years ago. Right. And if you if you have, you got a really expensive collector's item there now. You can sell that baby if you need some. Uh, you know, if you end up in financial straits, you know. Yeah. But uh. Otherwise, yeah, as Goat said, you know, it's it's there on YouTube. There's actually a few different versions on YouTube. We're going off the the top results one that pops up, and it's it's fairly decent yeah, and it's really pretty good quality. Like you said, I'll I'll just advocate, you know, actually use it because I think this is a movie that deserves to be seen. And and just in case anyone's wondering what this even is, since it's not as high profile as some of the films we do, we should just say this is like a you know like a comedy horror film that's right. uh, actually takes place on Halloween. So this is definitely for those of you like monster kids like us and right. Halloween fiends. This is a, a treat you should check out. So check out and then come back and listen to us you know shoot the shit during it yeah watch it and then i mean you'll be streaming off of youtube you can stream this podcast it could be one of the few rare instances where people actually listen to us while they watch the movie as well yeah. so yeah so we're going to get it rolling we're at the zero second mark on the youtube um version the version that we're rolling off of it's one hour 34 minutes and six seconds so <laughs> that's the version you probably want to look at it's it's the it's the best looking version I saw in there. 
So I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And when I say go, hit uh, play on your Roku remote <laughs> or your <laughs> your spare Android <laughs> phone that you have laying around your house. <laughs> Whatever you got. All right. You got your thing awake and ready to go, Trev? Yeah, I'm all good, man. All right. Everybody at home, get ready. All right. One, two, three, go. All right. And we were rolling. Yeah, great. I actually really like this uh, ABC logo that comes up. Mm-hmm. This was an ABC TV movie. I believe made in conjunction with Universal, because I think this is the Universal backlot is the, the neighborhood here. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that if you knew for sure, because this looked a lot... Um, I was going to say this this movie, in a lot of ways, is kind of in the same vein as the Monster Squad. Mm-hmm. But to me, like you'll see in a second when the paperweight starts rolling around town like i mean this the suburban streets definitely look like the universal backlot but then when they get to the um, like the town square part i mean i guess it would have to be also the universal one but it looked a lot like the uh, town square from uh, monster squad i don't know yeah. sure if they're filmed or the even like studio. some back to the future elements here comes one yeah. of the most abrupt bizarre title cards ever right uh, just how quickly it like cuts to it here yeah this little boy he, he's putting the <laughs> He's, he's putting the the baseball card in the spokes of his uh, bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he he goes to like roll it, and then like it cuts the black, and you it, they make it seem like he cut his finger off or something. Yeah, and then we get our first uh, we hear for the first time Wolfman Jack, the famous uh, radio DJ, who again I don't know how younger listeners might not remember Wolfman Jack, but uh, yeah. for people our age, a very recognizable voice, and it's kind of cool he's peppered throughout this. Oh, baby, get ready for midnight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like Wolfman Jack is definitely a um, you know somebody who, I mean, especially around Halloween time, it seemed like like he was really synonymous. You know, like mm-hmm. I'd always hear him like on commercials or stuff. Now I was going to ask you, Trev. Like it looks different. Like it's a different paint job. Do you think this? Because the, the paper boys ride around the town delivering the papers with a Halloween mask on because this is Halloween morning. Do you think that skull mask he's wearing is the same kind from Halloween 3? Because I know that mask was released previously before Halloween 3 in a slightly different paint job. And, like, the eyes kind of look like it. Like, the paint color doesn't, but the eyes, the way they're shaped, remind me of that mask. Yeah, I mean, it certainly could be. You know, there's a lot of moments in this movie that suggest, you know, uh, the reverence to the genre. Yeah. And, you know, like little homages to other things. So I guess I wouldn't be surprised. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it was just, oh, man, we want to have him wear a mask. Send uh, Jimmy the intern to a Halloween store this right. morning and give him pick up whatever. You know? right. So either way seems logical to me. But And I, I guess we should know, just if people haven't heard of this, just so in their mind mentally they can get into the time frame of uh, what it is. This, this movie came out in 1985. Yeah. Oddly enough, it first aired on November 1st, 1985, which is an odd decision. Uh, I guess it's just because that was the Friday and these typically would show on Friday nights. But, uh, boy, I think they would have bumped that one up to Thursday just for the, you know, appropriateness of it. But, hey, what do I know? Yeah, like that that must that 1985 Thursday night ABC lineup must have been hot. (laughs) (laughs) But I I like this, too, this opening. um, Eventually, it did become a Halloween perennial, though, like. Like they like I read that they started uh, showing it about f- maybe like six or seven years later on the Lifetime channel. Oddly enough, yeah. Is that now? Is that Wolfman Jack right there? I believe it is. Right, it that's d- got to be like 
It's hard to say. It does look like him, but I, most of the pictures I've seen of Wolfman are from his younger years. I want to yeah. say also, too, the music credit. I actually really like the music of this movie. Like, not mm-hmm. just the source music, but the actual score. It's actually Brad Fidel, the guy who did the music for The Terminator. So Yeah. And um, here, here we have the paperboy come across the local. I guess he's a sheriff. And this was a big surprise casting to me. Like mm-hmm. like like just a little bit before he hit his stride, we have uh, old Clarence Boddicker here in full on Clarence Boddicker mode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. AKA Kurtwood Smith. Yeah, and a very small role in this, but uh, yeah. it's it's definitely exciting that he pops up. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, just to like, uh, so going back to just the time frame and everything. Well, I wish they do this whole opening. I as as someone who grew up on these kind of films and just loves this kind of Halloween spirit and everything. I'm already in a good mood. I just love films set in small towns like this. This right. kind of small town Americana feel is is just I don't know. It's comforting. <laughs> it's a, I agree. I, just something about it that uh, always appeals to me, and like uh, you know, knowing it's called the Midnight Hour. So I doubt. I mean, I was only five, I guess, when this aired. There's right. no way I re- like saw it the first time. But I just said I definitely have a memory of it when I was a little older. So yeah, I, I definitely was catching it on those kind of annual reshowings that would pop up for a while. And that's one of the things I find interesting about TV movies. So if we want to quickly get into this, TV movies are, you know, it's not that they don't exist at all anymore, but they're not an an industry anymore the way they were back then. No. And I think a TV movie is such such an interesting thing because, you know, when you make a film, you're making a film that you feel like will play in theaters for at least a little while. Uh, Nowadays, when you make a movie for Netflix, you know it'll be there forever, you know, or other streaming services. But these were movies that a lot of effort was being put into these and with the intention of initially only being shown once, one night. Right. And it just seems like such a lot of effort to be put into something and, and hope that maybe it'll be popular enough to get some re-airings at some point, but maybe not, you know? Yeah, like, I don't... I would assume this would have been something that they, if they wanted to, and I don't know if they did, but if they wanted to, they could have very easily sold a lot of copies of this on VHS during the video boom, the video stores. I could see mm-hmm. this being a, a big renter. And I gotta say, like, you know, we had the opening with the like it's kind of gone away from the paper boy but he he rode past the graveyard and the graveyard just has like five or six open graves that just have fog coming straight out of them like it's not even like the graveyard itself is encased in fog there's just open graves that have fog coming out did you notice that even in the daytime shot track? yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh i want to talk about the guy here who kind of ends up being the main uh guy uh his his dad is uh, dick van patten who's a local dentist and mm-hmm. uh, but this guy, yeah, his name is uh, Lee Montgomery, and I actually just like he actually had a pretty prolific career in the seventies and eighties. But I but I knew him because um, just a couple of months ago we talked about this. I discovered the movie Mutant with Wings Hauser, and he was also yeah. in it playing the brother. And I really like this guy, and I want to track down some of his other roles because I don't know, like he kind of like I don't know about you, but he kind of reminds me of a young Mark Ruffalo. I don't know if I, I mean, I guess I see what you mean a little bit, but uh, to go back to just the other things we know from, he's also uh, in Burnt Offerings, the uh, the, uh, Reed horror film. So yeah, he's definitely like, and you know, like you said, he pops up in a lot of other stuff around this time. So if you watch enough uh, material, I guess I was just saw he's in Ben, although I don't really remember him in that. And girls just want to have fun. Yeah. The Midnight Hour, baby. It's been too long since I've seen Ben to replace him in it, but uh, I know I'm sure you probably had to be a young kid at the time. Well, yeah, yeah. That's what... So now we we cut to the school and we start getting introduced to uh, talk about a great cast, man. We saw some of the the other the female leads. So you have Sherry Belafonte, and like I don't know what it was. Like maybe I just never saw 
Sherry Belafonte when she was in her younger years, but I was like really surprised by how good looking she was in this. Yeah. Yeah, she's pretty hot in this. And then like kinda of her best friend is played by Dee Dee Fiverr, who I've always like had a crush on ever since that movie Vamp. Were you ever familiar with that movie, Trev? Yeah, I remember Vamp. Yeah, yeah she played like the female lead in that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then uh, we got your boy, Goat. My boy. <laughs> I always get confused because there's so many of them. But I want to say this DeLuise is Peter DeLuise, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Peter DeLuise. Well, yeah, did you think maybe it was Dom DeLuise? No, I thought it was his... I always get their names mixed up because they were both on 21 Drum Street, but his brother was also on that show, and I think his brother was David. But, okay. Yeah, David DeLuise. And then also, too, with them is LeVar Burton, who who I was shocked LeVar Burton was still playing teenagers in this when I saw him in this, because I think I already knew him from reading Ro- Rainbow by this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I can see why you were shocked, but at the same point, like, all these teenagers are roughly 39 years yeah. old in this, so yeah. it's it's definitely one of those kind of films. Yeah. I also like, so this moment, they, they their substitute teacher shows up, and uh, I don't know, we can talk a lot about this character later, like, what is the purpose of this character, right. but... I just think it's funny that when she walks in, all the the men are just like, "Oh my god!" You'd think like a you'd think a model in like a swimsuit walked in, and right. she's just so conservatively dressed. I mean, yes, she's good looking, but I just she thought is. the uh, the react the reaction to her is a little overboard. Yeah, we should especially we, since they're in a class with like plenty of like attractive girls that are oh, just lots, like yeah. you know yeah yeah. Well, also too, it, it kind of threw me off because I thought like maybe I had got goofed up because like I thought she was the teacher and later up she just shows up at the party like it's normal and they're all happy to see her and I'm like what like I was like well wait was she supposed to be one of the kids but no she definitely is the teacher yeah like, I mean she makes a couple comments at the party about how she's like, supposed to be the chaperone so it's almost yeah. like I feel like there's something missing where she was asked to be like there as a chaperone or something right, but right but who knows yeah you are right because she keeps bringing up. Wine only for chaperones. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> she basically steals Sherry Belafonte's parents' wine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it was a little weird. But I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like this was the era completely of inappropriate relationships between teachers, students, whatever, being glorified in move, movies like you had, like my you know, whatever, private tutor, my tutor, whatever, private mm-hmm. lessons. Like, there was a bunch of those things. So, I mean, obviously this was a TV movie. They weren't going for anything salacious at all. But I but I just feel like, for whatever reason, in the zeitgeist of movie making back then, like they were all about young teachers being cool or being friends with kids. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe we have Van Halen to thank for that. Yeah, that could be. Now, I found this interesting because they show the guy struggling. He like You see that weird tripod uh, screen that he has for the projector? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the kind of screen I have for my projector when I set it up, and that is a pain in the ass. But he totally did it wrong. Like You're supposed to collapse it down and put it on and then push it up. You're not supposed to reach all up and tear your back up trying to get it on there. He's not a very good nerd. <laughs> no, so not. I guess we should quickly say what he's talking about. So he's giving his Halloween presentation, and it really is exposition heavy, but it is the story of the film. So this takes place in a, in a small New England town called Pitchford Cove. And as we learn here, like hundreds of years ago, there was a witch named Lucinda Cavender who kind of was a, you know, a foil of the town and she was being hunted by a colonial minister named Nathaniel Grenville. And these names are both important throughout the film. So he's just given the history of it that eventually on Halloween night, uh, she was, she was 300 years ago, she was stopped by Grenville. And, uh, you know, as we, as we'll learn that actually some of the students are descendants of the, he's actually a descendant of Nathaniel Granville, Granville, uh, and Sherry Belfonte is a descendant of 
the witch Lucinda Cavender. So this right. is all kind of important as we go along. And, it, and it, it's obviously, too, it's that classic horror movie setup of, um, like you said, this traditions and, and legends and whatever. And obviously, it's always the youth who kind of screw around and don't take any of it seriously and they end up yeah, causing yeah. problems. I'll tell you one thing I was surprised by the first time I watched this film, or the first time I kind of watched it recently, I remembered it. You know, as a kid, this probably didn't even, I wasn't thinking about things like this. But this whole sequence kind of sets up, you kind of get the assumption that our main character here is the nerd that everyone is going to make fun of and not like. And then we'll learn in like a couple seconds here that actually he's friends with like all the the cool popular kids. He's, he's yeah. part of the gang. Yeah, there are some movies like that where it's like, it's like the nerds mixed with the jocks and whatever. And this movie's definitely like that. And like, the only thing I can think of is it just they're just playing up the small town aspect mm-hmm. where everybody knows everybody, and it's kind of like, I guess they've all been in school for so long that they all just accept each other. Yeah. So the way we find that out is we now see like the the gang is going to the the witchcraft museum, which I find it funny that this town, this very small kind of town, has a witchcraft museum. But I guess you know it just fits into the theme that that's the town's history. Right. But they're they're going to break into the museum to steal the actual clothes worn by the uh, the historical figures we just talked about to wear them for their Halloween party tonight. Yeah, because this museum definitely took all the real stuff. <clears throat> I am dying. I'm. I, I got. I got a spell on me. But yeah, this mu- this this kind of witchcraft museum. It's kind of like a wax museum type setup. But they have all like the real props from the the witch trials and I mean just everything down to. I mean we'll get into it in a second. But everything down to like paperwork and whatever. And like the first thing when they said they're gonna steal the clothes off the dummies, I was like, I just thought it how nasty because I was like, how dusty does it, those clothes have to be? <laughs> you would think. You know what I mean. Well, but like that's what I was about to ask. Like on a in the universe of this film, goat, how how popular of an attraction do you think this museum is? I mean, is Pitchford Cove a big tourist attraction? Because I can't imagine right. the residents of the town go to this museum that often. They know the story; they've seen it all before. Right. What's the business model of this place? I think it's just uh, one of those things where, like, because clearly, if you look at it from the outside, and I'm sure you know this this outside is probably used as a movie theater and other movies where they use this back lot I, I, I think it's just maybe it's possible that the town movie theater went out of business and they kind of just set this up the con this the chamber of commerce set this up to uh mm. you know it just at least have the space not be completely you know whatever but then yeah. they but then they go ahead and you know, I have a spooky basement, and I don't know too many movie theaters that have a spooky, like, like a uh, stone basement. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to, like, question, I, I like this movie, but I, I feel like if I was given a script pass on this today, I would probably, instead of saying, hey, let's let's act like this town has an annual witchcraft museum, just say that, you know, maybe every Halloween they, they bust all this stuff out of storage for some kind of, you know, parade or something, right. and that's where they steal it from. That might have been a little bit more logical, but there will certainly be other logical issues as we go along, so why why really yeah. start now? You know? Yeah, I mean, this is trying to be a fun movie, but I'm with you, or they could have had it just be, like, literally part of a smaller exhibit at just a mm-hmm. regular museum, you know what I mean? Yeah, like or maybe a- there's, like, a town historian who has this stuff, you know? Yeah. But yeah, but but totally, like, they're all about, you know, and, and they keep saying over and over that they'll return the costumes, like, you know, but like, they're also like, like, Sherry Belafonte completely on purpose broke like a glass jar to get something out of it or just whatever. But like, this is the only thing you kind of have to 
explained to me, Trev, is I kind of didn't understand that, okay, there's a hillbilly that comes up with a pickup truck and some ravenous dogs, and they even, like, notice him, and they think, oh, he's here for security. Like, was that the guy who owned the museum? Was he just hired by the town to be some kind of weird dog man security for, like, literally yeah. that area? It was That, I, that never It is kind of weird. Yeah. I, I kind of got the same sense as you said. Like, it seems like he's patrolling, like, the town square, but I don't right. know if that's, like... I don't know why they have police for that, right? And, he, and he's not like a security guard at all, like the way he's dressed. No. He's just like kind of like a country guy with a pickup truck and dogs. It's weird. And he's like, got a, kind of got like a Thomas Lennon as Lieutenant Dangle kind of vibe to him. Yeah, he does. I also thought it was funny, too, that they stole that heavy-ass trunk to put their costumes in. I'm like, wouldn't it actually be easier if everybody just carried their costume that they stole? <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, we need the trunk for what's about to happen. I, uh, you know, the secondary thing is why wouldn't they just go put the costumes on anywhere? Why do they have to drive to the cemetery to do it? Well, that's because yeah. the movie needs us in the cemetery. So, yeah. I'm wondering if that's why all the, uh, some of the foreign releases try to put artwork on the front, very reminiscent of Return of the Living Dead, because they had the, uh, you know, because you know how sometimes like foreign countries try to pass off random movies as sequels or related to other ones, you know, mm-hmm. like maybe they're just trying to with the cemetery angle because it is like pretty much they're just going there to hang out and whatever. I mean, that's certain this way certainly has like somewhat of a Return of the Living Dead vibe to it. You know, it's definitely aiming at the same audience with the, the horror mixed with comedy. This is probably, you know, a little bit more comedic and on, at face value. So it's almost like a better version of Return of Living Dead Part 2 or something. But Right. And totally, um, here we get the shot of the graveyard. We see Again, we see all the steam coming out of some of the open graves. And I thought this was pretty impressive because you can kind of tell it's not a real graveyard at all. At least I'm pretty sure it's not. It oh, just, yeah. It just yeah. looks like phony tombstones, but... I can't, like for like these types of movies I kind of like that cuz like I will go more for the atmospheric almost Tim Burtony look <laughs> over just a cold gray like regular graveyard you know what I mean Yeah if you're going to have a bunch of dumb teenagers accidentally unleash the dead in a graveyard make it look like a fairy tale graveyard right. you know, give me that give me that steam and that fog and that kind of dramatic lighting I think for uh fans of um the movie Hocus Pocus they might get a kick out of this too cuz the town setting and everything, it's very reminiscent of that town setting, you know? Mm-hmm. Like the small town with the witchcraft past and all that. And we do learn, too, that this town, I mean, this is, goes back to the Burbs, an episode we did where they talk about every small town has something like this. This town did have its own uh, infamous serial killer, apparently. Right. Who, uh, that we just saw them pass his grave and people have graffitied it. We've written Killer Monster on his grave and right. he'll, he'll be like, a, he'll come up, obviously. Well, they've already talked about him once, and you know that's good. you know it's Chekhov's gun. We know that'll be something that comes up later. So, what did you think of um, kind of the group here? So, we're down to our main group here of Peter DeLuise, Lee Montgomery, Sherry Belafonte, Dee Dee Pfeiffer, and Lavar Burton. Like, I thought it was a pretty good group dynamic because you have you have Lavar and Sherry being like a romantic couple and then everybody else is pretty much just like friends. Mhm. Yeah, I liked it. And even like I said like Peter Delvey's at first you think he's going to be like kind of the jock bully of the group and we'll find out later. Like I said he's he's actually kind of, you know, friends with everybody and we'll even get some, you know, a little bit of a backstory with him and his parents and explain why he is the way he is. So, it's a you know, for this kind of film, it's a fairly well-drawn group. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting um 
I mean, I'm assuming if people are listening to us talk about it, they watch the whole movie, but it's very interesting in the way that this um, this movie is structured, you know, roughly 95 minutes. Like, they really hit the ground running with setting up, you know, which, I mean, they would have had to, to set up the plot and how this curse gets lifted. But the curse is just kind of, like, going on for a very long chunk of the running time. And then I checked this out. Like, they didn't even really, like, none of the characters were even aware of, like, what evil plot was actually going on until there was, like, 20 minutes left in the movie. Mm-hmm. And, like, I, I don't really see that as, like, a pacing problem or anything. Because, like, when you watch this type of movie, I feel like that's kind of what you want. You want the, the largest chunk of the movie to be, like, the evil curse happening and all the monsters running amok and whatever. Mm-hmm. So so here, like, and, you, and it kind of helps, I think, on a second viewing. You have to really know that this uh, piece of parchment they found in the trunk, and they, you know, it actually has a wax seal on it, and they break it so they can read off this uh, declaration. That's how they're going to unleash the spell and all that, and and uh, I guess let all the, you know, the evil come back. Um, but uh, if the first time you see this, like... I don't know, like, like, I, like, like, I wasn't even aware that this was the incident that was going to make all the shit happen, you know. Ooh, I was. I mean, I, I've seen Evil Dead enough to know that when you read parchment <laughs> uh, out loud, it's not a good idea. I mean, they play it a little bit. Like, she gets like spooked out, and the wind's blowing in everybody's hair. But yeah, like, I was just, I thought this was kind of like more of the group's fun and games at the time. I, I didn't catch on. Well, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we learned, you know, she's a descendant of the witch. And you'd think, like, again, I'm, I'm sure a modern writer looking at this would say, well, when they broke into the museum and they stole the clothes, she started to get possessed by her ancestor. But that's really not the case. It's just kind of more like almost coincidence that she happens to be the one that reads the, the scroll out loud and, right. and unleashes it all. Because she totally, like, acts like she's in a trance, and then when she's done reciting, she collapses to the ground, and they all run over to her, and it turns out she was just playing around, and, like, faking the whole yeah. thing. Like, like I think, I think you know, some of the, you know, like, logic problems or whatever we've been discussing, I think, you know, you definitely would do it in a modern movie. I think you could clear that up by having, like, a goth character who was, like, intentionally doing all this, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Speaking of this being a TV movie, it has very noticeable cigarette burns in it for real changes. You notice that? Yeah, too? I noticed that too, and I was I was actually really curious about that. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess maybe I don't know. I didn't really look too much into history, but maybe it played theatrically somewhere. I was wondering about that because the thing is, we keep saying TV movie, TV movie, but and even though it is a full frame movie, it's not widescreen because I mean, obviously, it was meant to play on you know television back in the day. But I gotta say, like, I was pretty blown away by the production value in this movie. Like, I there was really nothing that I felt like was done in a cheap or chintzy way, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now, here we get a sequence, you know, with the dead coming out of the graves. And first of all, I love any time this happens in movies where we just watch, you know, the dead rise out of a cemetery. Uh, but I was going to say, this is the part that... You know, uh, visually, it looks the most influenced by Return of the Living Dead, but I don't know that it actually could have been, because this film aired only a few months after Return of the Living Dead came out in theaters, so it's not like they could have, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how quickly this was thrown together, but I s- somehow doubt it's just, you know, the, the kind of case of kismet with two things being made at the same time that are very similar. Yeah, because, I mean, it is weird that these movies are from the, you know, Return of the Living Dead and Midnight Hour from the same year, because, like, they do feature... 
very, you know, like it's a little more like power shoddy in this, like with people exploding mm-hmm. out of the graves because they have to actually punch their way out and all that. But it is really weird because, like, Trev, you're more, you're a little bit more knowledgeable about the horror history than I am. But I mean, where did the zombies actually coming up out of the grave? Because I mean, Romero never did that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, on a visual level, I, I really feel like Return of the Living Dead is the one that everyone started to kind of bite that from. You know, right. it's just that. Like let's watch. Let's have a four-minute sequence where you watch them all coming out, and maybe even make some gags out of it, or just get a chance to show off our unique zombie makeup. Now, this is where, this is where the movie's like. Not I don't want to say loses me, but I, I have questions for yeah. sure. Because beyond the zombies, which are understandable, we also get uh, a werewolf or yes. some kind of like bizarre animal creature. And now we also have here, um. What I, I guess so, our, our other lead character, which is the cheerleader, um, yeah. her name is escaping me at the moment, but uh, yeah, played by Jonah Lee, Sandy, from, yeah, Sam, yeah, yeah, Sammy, Sandy, Sandy, who, as as far as I can tell, is just a ghost, right? I mean, because she's not right. decayed or rotted, and she's certainly been dead long enough to be, and all these other zombies are, right? So, I don't know, it's just kind of there's a there's inconsistencies here, and I guess I shouldn't care, and I don't care, but it's just it's one of those things that's fun to nitpick if you want to get into it because even lucinda cavender our main villain who's been sold to us this whole time as a witch we'll soon find out is actually a vampire yeah 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 they've been talking all this stuff about witch witch it turns out she's a vampire i want to say based on some some um dialogue that she says later is i think it's more like even the good people who died that night who i guess didn't get turned into like some type of creature because there are a lot of people that get bit and either turn into either ghouls or vampires i guess if you Mm. don't get turned into anything that night but you do die like once the spell is like you know broken because like i mean she would have died in the 50s so i get the i get the impression that this this curse or this like you know thing has come out on a couple different halloween nights throughout the decades you know I feel like you probably just put more thought into it than the writers actually did. So <laughs> yeah, like I mean, like there's really nothing to like pick apart because it's just meant to be bubblegum fun. But I was mm-hmm. definitely felt like I was like missing like something here and there, and I was just like, okay, I'll just play along for now. And then they would drop hints mostly through her. She was kind of like the exposition character. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm looking closely here, and I don't see him, and I don't think that's him there. But I read somewhere that this. As a trick-or-treater, uncredited, this was supposed to be Macaulay Culkin's debut. Did you read that too, Trev? Uh, I read that as well, and yeah, the, my only guess could be that that was that little blonde kid, but it, you said it, it sure did. didn't look like him, so... No, it didn't. But, um, I'm, I'm, I'm so dumb, I'm trying to figure out, in 1985, how they, you know, came up with, um, uh, zombies coming up out of the grave... 1983 thriller video they came out of the grave so i think and, oh, yeah. I, and obviously this there's a dance sequence that's really inspired by thriller later oh, I, yeah, I think yeah. i think that is what that video thriller is what got everybody biting them coming out of the grave yeah yeah i mean like you said there's this is definitely thriller influenced and, and yeah. we'll get there and talk about that but what maybe, do you so what do you think these of little kids there's like real little oh. kids running across the lawn there like really mm-hmm. little what do you think of uh, Lee Montgomery's costume here now? I, I gotta ask him, you know, like, what is he going for with the... I get he's a vampire, but what's with the silver wig? That... Oh, I didn't think he was a vampire at all. I thought he was, like, um, like a Liberace, um, like, magician. 
Okay, here we see our first zombie that's like interacting with like the town. Um, he's got a newspaper that he won't let go. And like, eventually he just starts reading the newspaper. What did you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's def- so he's definitely set as like a comedic character. I think he's yeah. just listed as the ghoul in the opening credits. And he's played by Mark Blankfield, who um, I don't know if anyone, if you know this goat, but He's probably most infamous for being uh, taking over the role of the jerk in the sequel to the jerk, the jerk two. Really, it's that. Which guy? is also, which wow. is also a TV movie. Yeah, so he's the new, he's the second Navin Johnson, obviously the far inferior one. Yeah, but but he plays this comedic zombie who kind of keeps popping up throughout. And here, this is what I mean. Like, so right off the bat, I mean. I don't know if we want to, like you said, it's just fun in games. It's just a silly movie. But some of these zombies are very dangerous to be around, and others. Well, just don't even really bother you. You know, right. they're just kind of they're just there and trying to go about their everyday life. You know, and he definitely has that kind of vibe to him. He gets hit by a car and does not attack our hero. Just kind of seems annoyed. Okay, now this might seem like a weird thing, but I was really enjoying this movie. And then when we just cut to this hard hitting scene of domestic violence between a son and father, like <laughs> this threw me a curveball. And then we should mention it's between Peter Deloise and the awesome Kevin McCarthy from Invasion mm-hmm. of the Body Snatchers. I gotta say, like, like this is the first scene where, where like, I got the whatever notion that there, this, this, this movie was gonna be like, not nearly as kiddy as I thought it was gonna be, and it was gonna yeah. be, you know, more. Cause I mean, he's drunk, he's the town judge, he's slapping around because he no- he realizes that he must have stolen that costume from the museum. And like, I love this shot too of like the mom looking out the window of them fighting on the porch and all that. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, it's a total whiplash movie, but I mean, if you pay close attention, you do pick up on some interesting things because he's he's mad at his son for stealing the costume, but he's not threatening to turn him in. Right. Uh, oh wait, maybe one of these one of these Macaulay Culkin again maybe. sure didn't look like it. Yeah, but uh, but yes, yeah. he's not threatening to turn him in. He's just saying, you know, if you get caught, I'm not going to help you. Right. And then there's a sequence later where we learn that the son is is very aware of his father's alcoholism and kind of uh, but does feel bad about it and you know he's like, oh, I got to help my dad. So I don't know. There's an interesting family dynamic going on there that's obviously not as explored as it could be, but the fact that there's even a hint of layers in this is pretty impressive. Yeah. And here we have the nerd character Phil. And uh, I thought this was a weird departure. He's driving down the street, and he sees the cheerleader uh, ghost, and he starts fantasizing that they're like going to make out in front of the train tracks. I thought this was mm-hmm. an odd uh, sequence. Right it's there. odd, but I, I really like it, because it's one of the first like stylistic flourishes, and there's a few like that throughout the film. And it, it's the first, like you said, there's there's certain moments where you realize that there's, there's more to this movie than it seems on the surface. And I guess a lot of that can, can be credited. We haven't mentioned yet that this is directed by Jack Bender. Right. Who, uh, you know, would go on to do a lot of TV work. I mean, horror fans will probably Tons. primarily know him from Child's Play 3. Is He directed that. Yeah, that was like the only theatrical release that yeah. I recognized. Yeah. But I mean, he's I mean, over the years, he's a huge TV director. I know him primarily as a, one of the main directors on Lost. And then he would go on to do The Sopranos and Game of Thrones. And yeah, he's, uh, he's just one of those kind of consistent TV directors even today. And to, lately he's been directing uh, Mr. Mercedes, the Stephen King series. Oh, wow. Still, He's still rocking. Man. Yep. Yeah, but they meet here and like he totally doesn't pick up on the fact that like everything she kind of mentions is, uh, you know, old school and whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
But, but well, he, I mean, would you? Would that be your first thought? That you're talking to a ghost. I would just think she's in character. You know? Right. For for it is Halloween. You got a young girl dressed in a '50s garb type situation. But I mean, I mean, looking at his his flamboyant uh, makeup and stuff, I don't think he's supposed to be a vampire because he's got like a, almost like a beak design drawn on his face. I know it's, that's what I mean. It's weird, but I mean the costume is certainly like a Count Dracula kind of yeah, costume. Yeah, yeah, the clothing is for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, I found this scene really humorous where Lavar Burton is doing that thing. I think at one point in time, probably especially as we got older as teenagers, we all did where he's trying to make his Halloween costume five minutes before he heads out. <laughs> I mean, I still, I've, I've still done that in recent years. This yeah. is, this is very, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of this. Although I would say the way he's going about it is not the best idea. Just smearing ketchup and egg all over himself. You're going to be pretty rank by the end of the night. Yeah. He's rubbing, like, gauze on himself. And, like, from the first shot, I thought he was, like, really going to, like, do himself up to be a mummy. But Mm -hmm. then when he rubs the egg, which the egg I don't get, the ketchup I understand it could be, like, fake blood. But, like, I get the impression that he's trying to be, like, somebody who got in an accident or whatever. Yeah. But I think it would have been more fitting if, if like, they would have had him really get done up in a mummy gear and all that. And one thing I was going to say, I mean, I don't know exactly the vintage of the car that that uh, Peter DeLuise is driving, but one thing I noticed in movies back then compared to now, here we just get a scene of Kevin McCarthy drunk smashing up his son's room. But I noticed movies, but you ever noticed, back then, like, if it was like a 1985 movie, they had cars that were anywhere 10, 20, 25 years old. Whereas you watch a movie now, it's almost all like brand new 2018 cars. You ever notice that trend? Yeah, well, I think, do you think it's just at a certain point car companies started being more like, we got to sponsor the movie or, you know, yeah. pay for our, our cars to be in there? And that really wasn't happening back then. Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, when you drive down the road, you certainly see people driving old cars. So. Right. Or even just cars from, like, ten years ago, you know what I mean? But, yeah, it's, it's, I, th- I found that weird. Yep, so here we have... Um, I guess this is a zombie. I, I can't tell. Clear this up for me, Trev. Maybe you got this impression. Maybe it was just me. I got, from the way some of them act, I got the impression that some of the creatures from the graveyard, some were zombies, and some were, like, a different ghoul-type creature. Did you get that? Well, that's what I mean. There's there's definitely a werewolf. Um, We have vampires. This, yeah, this one is interesting because... Oh, man, I feel like this movie needs like a, a one of those like novelizations to fill in gaps or something, right. or just like a you know an extension or so. But so this is like the 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 zombie or whatever the ghoul version of that serial killer we mentioned earlier, yeah. the uh, 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 Nestor something I think yeah, is his name, Nestor. Nestor Nestor Vernon, yeah. yeah. And he comes after the judge for obvious reasons, but he also when he kills the judge, I believe he says something like "not guilty" or something, or and it's kind of like yeah. I don't because Kevin McCarthy's is drunk. Then I'm led to wonder. Well, wait, are they saying that this guy wasn't really guilty and that he was, you know, the judge kind of unfairly sentenced him or, right. or what's the deal here? But he also yeah. seems like the most evil ghoul that we see. So I don't know. Yeah. He seems like he's I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm overthinking this silly comedy horror TV movie. But but I mean, like we've been kind of picking apart a lot of the stuff, you know, just just being nitpicky. But I got to say, like this this scene right here was for me is when shit got real. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know, because I'll be honest, I didn't think anybody was really going to die in this movie. And, and this this guy, the the serial killer Vernon, uh, he kind of like 
Like, he explodes up out of the trash. And I thought this was shot well and had a good, scary, you know, even this little, like, side yard part. Like, I, the one thing I would want to give this movie credit on is, like, you know, the trick-or-treating scenes and, like, this and just the atmosphere. Like, like it does a good job of recreating, like, Halloween night and you know, making you feel like it's really going on. And, you know, because I remember Halloween nights more when I was a kid. Great shot, too, of the silhouette of uh, the ghoul choking Kevin McCarthy to death pretty much but mm -hmm. uh th yeah th this movie really like reminds me of like you know how like halloween 2 captured that great trick-or-treating halloween you know ambience and all that i mean for a movie that shot in um you know pretty much i think mostly on back lots and stuff they did a good job of making it feel lively and making it feel festive and not making it feel phony you know yeah yeah it is funny what you said about it you know getting real here because this movie can sneak up on you and that it definitely yeah. a lot of it does play like a silly kind of comedy and then we'll talk about this more as we go along and then it suddenly it rears its head and reveals itself as maybe one of the most cynical horror films right. of the 80s that's just like and very nihilistic uh, which is interesting for a you know a, a little simple tv film that was just supposed to air on a friday night and I got to say, like, you know, like, when when this started, you know, because we've actually been discussing doing this since last year. But mm -hmm. when, when this started, um, this movie with the kid and the paper route, I was like, I was like, this is this is what I like. I like either dark and gruesome R-rated horror or I like nice kid-friendly PG horror. And I thought I was in for a straight-up PG horror experience, but, like... If this were to just be like a straight theatrical whatever, I mean, to me, a lot of scenes, uh, just with the tone and stuff, like, it, it, to me, it's like PG-13 borderline R. I mean, it, 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 with a couple little bits of gore here and there, which they could have done if they wanted to, this could have totally been an R-rated movie, I think. Because mm -hmm. I'm kind of shocked how, yeah, cynical and, and uh, grim things get eventually. Should we talk about some of the costumes of the party goers? I'm always kind of fascinated by these Halloween parties in, in movies just because, you know, I tend to, you know, you go to a Halloween party thrown by kids or whatever. Even, you know, nowadays, it's usually a lot of people and like everyone's got uh, very elaborate costumes, you know. That's kind of why I like the LeVar Burton character because he really feels like what you really see a lot of parties, someone yeah. who didn't put a lot of effort into it. But here there's a, yeah, there's some really kind of, you know, pricey looking costumes. But we definitely have our punks, you know, yeah. uh questionable native american costumes as well not only that but it was like punk rocker slash native american costume yeah and i feel like definitely there's uh some rocky horror influence because like this scene just showing the vampire witch walk around you see a girl trick-or-treating as the maid but back at the party mm -hmm. there was a guy who like for the longest time i couldn't because he actually has like a legit mask on of like kind of like like kind of like a big face and like long hair i think the one guy is supposed to be the butler from rocky Horror yeah riffraff riffraff yeah. yeah i was blanking on his name i was gonna call him richard o'brien <laughs> i think this is real name. yeah here, here we're getting like everybody rolling up to the party whatever and then and then there, there's um again i don't know if he's a ghoul a zombie he seems more just like a creature but but here we have or maybe he's a mini Frankenstein, but this little person I thought did a great job. Yeah, I think he's even. I think he's listed in the credits as Elf. Okay. I think. Yeah, because um, he doesn't look like just a dead person. He has actual prosthetic makeup to like change his features to make him look more monsterly or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'm I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but 
That was kind of a go-to thing in the 80s as well. I've seen a number of 80s films that whenever there's like, you know, a bunch of monsters or something, they love to always have like a little person be one of them just because, right. I don't know, they thought it was extra terrifying or something back then. Or, I think it's just always... to make it unusual, you know? Yeah. You know, like, like you're, you know, you're a lot of these creatures back then, you're kind of limited to a guy in a suit, but what if you get either a really tall guy or a really uh, short guy, you know, you can make it, you know, different. But he's another one who's certainly positioned like he's not he's not even here to like murder anybody or, or raise mm-hmm. hell. He's he just looks like he wants to have a good time. He just came yeah. to enjoy the party. Cuz the 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 50s cheerleader ghost girl, she even explains that some some of the people come back just to like experience things that they didn't get to when they were alive, you know. Yeah. But then like you said like a a werewolf or like a little elf man, I mean, I don't I don't know, like is that just a supernatural creature? Or is that somebody who was actually alive at one time? Mm-hmm. Oh, the guy's actually got a fear uh, patch on his leather jacket. I yeah, I was going to say that the one punk, him, yeah, he was legit. Now, there's a scene where um, uh, Phil the Nerd talked to uh, one of the zombies, obviously thinking of somebody in a costume, but the zombie was, like, really taken aback because there was a, a, a casket full of popcorn. I actually thought that was a kind of a cool Yeah. Gig. Now, here's where, I mean, here's where I fall in love with the substitute teacher character for obvious yeah, reasons. Too. Because, uh, so she's, like I said, she's here as a chaperone, and she's got the best costume of all. She comes uh, fully decked out in David Bowie, Let's Dance era uh, regalia. And and she really nails it, too. It's perfect looking. It's a really great costume, and she has her hair kind of all pulled up, you know, into more of a man's hairstyle. And it's funny, because like you said, how, like, she's not that hot before. Like, I actually thought she looked hotter as David Bowie. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because there's, there's the maid from Rocky Horror in the background. They showed her walking in the party earlier. And then, yeah, Riff Raff is dancing kind of with the zombie. That zombie's really enjoying all these party favorite candies and shit. Well, I mean, he probably, you know, when he died, there was no candy or popcorn, you know? So he really <laughs> yeah. is. He's, he's living it up. Now, here we have the hillbilly security guy, or whatever he is. And I'm kind of... I, I didn't understand why Town Square was so deserted on Halloween, to be honest. Like... You you would think there would be like you know some people walking through or driving through, but they really kind of painted like it's like deserted. Mm-hmm. But his dogs started fighting with each other and they ran away. So that's it was like his pretty much his only weapon of defense here. Again, I don't know why you would hire a hillbilly to keep like just one hillbilly guy to keep all town businesses safe. You know what I mean? If anything, they should have made him like the owner of the wax museum or the witch witchcraft museum. Yeah, and like even like an overly paranoid one or something, you know. Right. Now I saw the werewolf in the graveyard, but you don't see him close up. This scene where he's walking on all fours and you see his makeup like better. Like I thought he was like actually legit scary right here. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've maybe we, yeah, because we did the howling. I probably said this before, so people have heard me say this before, but I find on a just base level werewolves to be the scariest monster. Yeah, because you know, like I've said, you can you can reason with a vampire. Frankenstein's monster is just kind of you know you can get away from him. Mummies are slow and lumbering, but a werewolf is just a basically if you've ever been chased by a dog or just know like the fear of that kind of that's what a a werewolf is just a an even worse more scary version of that it's just a really terrifying thing and yeah if if you film them right or you position the right way i think they're always really actually pretty genuinely creepy and here here we have the little man the elf i guess as he's credited he just starts drinking straight face first into the punch bowl 
that's I guess that was his wish to come back <laughs> to. <laughs> but yeah, like, but going back to the werewolf attack there, like that's what I mean. The difference between in my mind between like a PG, you know, clean and PG thirteen. Like I was surprised how vi- violent that scene was. It was like yeah, we didn't get any blood, but there was a long lingering crane shot of just the werewolf just like literally biting and jumping on top of him and going nuts. And I mean, it's one of the, like that is one of those situations where you're. Your, I guess your imagination kind of fills in the blank, and you just imagine that guy just getting like bit over and over and torn in half by that werewolf, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Dee Dee Pfeiffer shows up, and she wanted to um, have a date, I guess, with the guy dressed as the sexy Frankenstein, but some other girl got to him first. Yeah. I will say the one of the most realistic things in this movie is LeVar Burton just giving up on his costume two minutes into the party and just taking it off, which is also something I've done at many parties like this. And he had a football shirt on, so technically he could just say he's a football player. Now this still here of Phil and, and the elf, a little guy, sitting on the steps. I saw this on IMDb, and I didn't think that I didn't realize at the time that this was a still from the movie. I thought it was just like a behind-the-scenes shot of them like hanging out or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like in between takes. Now, now they're uh, doing up Dee Dee Pfeiffer's um, costume. She's she's trying to be Bride of Frankenstein because, like I said, she wants to kind of get with the guy who's being the sexy Frankenstein of the party. But then there's this other girl here who's like um, like a beauty pageant, whatever. She's putting on like lipstick, makeup, and then she just puts on a big rubber mask on top of her face <laughs> and walks back into the party. I didn't get that at all. <laughs> This is another moment that, like, um, I don't know if you agree, Goat. I would, I'm guessing you probably do, but there, there are these moments where the movie actually does really well in terms of just being a straight horror film and getting and getting creepy. Like we we mentioned the the werewolf attack and you know uh, Peter Dellies' father, but I even think just this moment, this interaction between uh, Lucinda and Sherry Belfonte, is actually really well done. Like it's it's genuinely kind of creepy, and you know it's not being played for laughs or anything, and you really kind of are worried for Sherry Belafonte here. Uh, and just like uh, the way Lucinda's played is is ominous. I, I really like this moment. Yeah, I, I think the lady who plays Lucinda does a great job of just kind of like having an otherworldly, um, you know, presence about her. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like, and this is a great shot where she was just creepily standing in the corner and they kind of didn't notice her at first. I mean, it's just a great setup to like, you know, what's going to happen here in a second not quite but um i was trying to remember I, that's one thing is i couldn't remember all the the cues for all the famous songs in this like when they play but there's definitely one coming up which i which i noticed and like really took this uh this uh movie to the top in terms of like style and stuff but we'll get to that in a second it happens down in the cellar yeah, I mean, we haven't even mentioned that yet. We we made a joke about it at the beginning, but we should say um, this movie is is full to the gills of recognizable pop music. I know, and and I have heard that uh, you made a joke, but it's it's true. I've heard that that's one of the reasons that it's it's such a hard film to you know get released nowadays. Anchor Bay, you know, actually managed to pull it together for a DVD release, but I think anyone looking at it now would I, I think they just give up on it before even going too far in the process right. because you got you have Wilson Pickett, you have Creedence Clearwater Revival. Uh, the, the Smiths, the, the Guess Who, Del Shannon. There's so many, you know, music rights to clear for this film. Um, Which and they weren't thinking about stuff like that back no. then. You know, this wasn't intended to be a home video release. So, 
And, like, totally, like, I don't get why licensing, you know, songs and stuff is so expensive for movies. I mean, if, yeah, if you're trying to put out a, a soundtrack compilation and sell, you know, CDs, I get all the whatever. But just to use a song for three minutes in a movie, like, to me, it just, like, it, it should be easy. It just, you should just pay the royalty based on X amount of, you know, however many units you press up or sell or whatever. It shouldn't mm-hmm. be that hard, you know. I'm actually shocked that this never got one of those like DVD releases with a bunch of like, you know, bullshit yeah, shitty, replacement yeah. songs edited in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say I really wish this Screen Factory could do a blue of this, but I don't think that even they could afford to get all the music rights. And I'm sure the Anchor Bay thing kind of happened when there was like a loophole. You know, that was probably before DVD even was as big as it became. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's too bad, though, because you're right. This is exactly the kind of title that, like, Scream Factory should be snatching up because it's a film that deserves to be kind of rediscovered and, and made into, like, more of a perennial Halloween favorite again. Yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure if it wasn't expensive, I'm sure it's the kind of movie they would love to do, but that's the hurdle in front of them. And th- this is the scene I was talking about. So, like, you have Sherry Belafonte going down into the basement to get David Bowie some more red wine. And uh, uh, Lucinda, the uh, witch slash vampire, follows her down. It just it's kind of like happened to be uh, the Smiths' "How Soon Is Now," which is a very kind of eerie song in itself. Sonically, mm-hmm. was playing in the party, and they continue it, you know, playing throughout this scene. And there's some like good innuendo here about red wine, which obviously is you know the vampire is thinking about blood and stuff. And basically, she's going to creep up and totally just attack and bite uh, Sherry Belafonte and. It, you know, as uh, the Smiths, uh, how soon is now playing, and then also there's like supernatural shit that goes on in the background where the red wine bottles start exploding and shooting wine everywhere. And like, I thought this was, I mean, this could have been a very, I think, I think this shows like the creativity of the director. Really, is like this could have been a very classic, basic scene of just a vampire biting somebody, and they really try to turn it into like this stylistic set piece. Yeah, it goes in yeah. slow motion. She runs up behind her and just... I thought this was great. Like, this really put this movie over the top for me. Yeah, it is pretty great. And I think what you were talking about earlier about, you know, this riding the line between PG-13 and R, I think... I was thinking about this last night when I was watching it. Um, the the use of the wine, like you just said, like, so we see the bottles popping open in the back and then pouring out. It's a great way to, like, insinuate blood without actually having blood. And yeah. it just, like, you know, to the viewer, it's like, oh, this it makes the scene feel violent, even though we're only watching wine and you can get away with it with the TV sensors. But it's just such a, like, a red-soaked scene now. Right. I mean... I mean, I, like, I, like this wouldn't phase me if this was like an HBO movie from back then. But the fact that this was on ABC, like, I was shocked by it. Like, in my eyes, like, for I guess from what I was expecting and what we got, like, I was surprised how violent this movie was. You know, I do think it's interesting that when Lucinda comes up now, she's suddenly like way more white after after feeding. Right. I think it'd be the reverse, right? But You're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know. I mean, I, yeah. It just it it is weird because because like and it's so like it's not even like a little bit more pale like she's straight on is kind of white bluish whatever is like Phil mm-hmm. is with his weird get up makeup you know mm-hmm. and also too because there's like all this curse stuff going on because Phil has this weird I don't even know what you call it like kind of like 
I don't know, this weird spiky wig, but it's not supposed to be hair. It's just like colored tinsel. It's like a tinsel wig. Yeah, it's like a glam wig. But. Yeah, but he, he kept itching the whole time. I thought something was going to happen, like 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 he had like some terrible like disease curse rash or something. Like I was expecting <laughs> when he finally pulled it off, it'd be a big deal, and it's just really not. It's just an uncomfortable Halloween costume. Yeah, well, I mean, if you ever worn a wig for a Halloween costume, they can be like that. Yeah, so. yeah. And, um, so we finally had Peter DeLuise get a dance with David Bowie. And also, too, like, uh, when the lady dresses David Bowie comes the teacher, she has a guy dressed with her, he's supposed to be deaf, but it's really just a guy dressed in black with a completely black mask on, it looked like to me. And it was like, I thought for sure he was going to end up being, like, one of the real ghouls or something, but I think it was just a guy in a Halloween costume. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, too, like this conversation, I'm pretty sure it's this conversation here where LeVar Burton's talking to Phil. And, um, they, uh, yeah, I think maybe he even says he has a big rash in the back, but you just never see it. It's not like a gory effect. But I think they were kind of talking, insinuating that, like, he was talking about, like, never getting anywhere with Sherry Belafonte. Like, I think they were kind of insinuating, like, sex talk there. If it wasn't that conversation, there's a similar conversation somewhere. In the oh film. yeah, it's it's peppered throughout. He's definitely he's he's trying to get some for sure, and he's yeah. he's frustrated that it's not happening. Yeah, now, now we here here we have the kind of happy zombie pop down. It's like Phil's hung out with the the tiny elf guy. Now the the happy zombie. Now the happy zombie has a legit happy zombie girlfriend now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this guy. I would hang out with this guy. Yeah, he's kind of. You know, if zombies go, he's you know pretty fun and life of the party. Yeah, he's not trying to eat your brains or anything. Now, what did you think the significance was of the cross streets? Because this is the same area where the paperweight was. Now they show the cross streets of Elm and Maple, and that turns out um, the cheerleader—that's where she used to live. But obviously, the town's way different since the 1950s. They kept showing that sign. Did you think it was? Did you read that there was supposed to be any significance about about Elm and Maple? Because I mean, Elm Street um, obviously we would get the Freddy Krueger reference, but Maple, I didn't know if that was. Oh, I think I think you're just missing it. It's I, I think you're right. I think it's uh, Nightmare Elm Street, and then uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street. Oh, okay. I think the the famous Twilight Zone episode. I think uh, that was my guess. Was that was that was the two references there? That definitely would make sense for this time period, and you know because. I mean, obviously, with the casting of people, like, like I don't think it's any uh, accident that they cast Kevin McCarthy, and you know what I mean? Like, I think, yeah. I think there's supposed to be a, you know, especially with all the monsters, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Monster Squad way of, like, the classic versions of monsters, you know, you have, you have, like, the, the werewolf and the vampire and stuff, I mean, I, I definitely could see them wanting to put all those nods to classic movies in there. Now here we have Peter DeLuise actually starting to get somewhere with the substitute teacher. Again, we're we're, we're treading very lightly <laughs> there. But... <laughs> I, thought I mean, it was, it was a different time, you know? It was. I thought this area, I thought this was cool, and I didn't know if this was a back lot or what. It doesn't look like it. But this kind of like, I don't know if it was a bus stop or what, but just this kind of like little park bench that's like all encased in giant stones and stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought this was cool. Like, it looks like a real street. The only thing that made me think it was maybe it was a set was there's, like, a business behind them that's, like, all boarded up that looked a little phony. But this part looks legit here. I guess this is a good this is a good way, like, you know, so he went to the party really hoping to, you know, hook up with D.D. Pfeiffer. That didn't work out. And I'd say, like, this is a really good consolation. 
Like, oh yeah, yeah. This girl played the love interest in the movie Making the Grade with uh, Judd Nelson, which I think would have came out maybe about two years before this, with Judd Nelson and uh, actually Andrew Dice Clay was in it as like a loan shark. Pretty pretty good comedy. I recommend it. But yeah, here we have uh, Lee Montgomery, uh, Phil. Uh, he sees her again, striking up a conversation. And he had some serious Wolfman hands. I don't know if you noticed that, Trev, but this guy, especially for playing a high school student, I think if I was the director, I'd have to hand him a disposable razor before shooting tell him to shave those the tops of those hands because that was insane. <laughs> you don't see too many uh, like Wolfman actors anymore the way you used to, like Robin Williams and all that. Yeah, so they're hitting it off, and she's going to jump in the car, and, you know, she's definitely... Do you think she's attracted to him just because he's got the old 50s car? Totally. I totally thought that, like, completely the first time I watched the movie. Because, I mean, like, because the whole th- point of her character... And let's let's be honest, you know, she's only got, like, one night to do whatever. Like, she's moving pretty fast here, and we find oh. out, you know, later, you know, spoiler, spoiler, but we find out later her whole reason for returning was she, I guess because she died so young, she never knew what true love was, so she wanted to uh, find a true love. Hey, maybe that's Macaulay Culkin dresses that chicken or duck right there. Yeah, now, like, every like every random kid who walks by, we just assume it's <laughs> Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. But yeah, so here we're going to have some drag racing against like uh, 80s era. Um, don't see what it was. Either. I think it's a Camaro. I really like her performance here, though. Like she kind of instantly turns on a dime and you're like, she's not just like little this innocent girl. No. You know, she's like really provoking the race and yeah. kind of, you know, messing with the guys next to them. And it's just she's. I don't know. She gets. She's really fun in this. Yeah, I, I, I think she really makes it. And I really like you know, the the character she interacts with, Phil, how he goes from kind of being the uptight nerd a little bit to, you know, kind of being the hero of the whole thing, just the way everything shook out. Just a big fan, like, I'm a big fan in general of, I don't know, you do you like just uh, movies that are all set on, like, one night? Oh, just I these love kinda, it. Like, yeah. yeah, right? Like, I'd say it's a, I don't know, I'm not sure there's a term for that or anything, but yeah. I just do love these kind of let's follow a party or whatever that all takes place over the course of a night. And even in, like in the realm of horror in particular, I think it's always really fun. Like, uh, you know, and obviously Halloween is this, is the perfect night to do it. And you know, this isn't the only horror movie in that realm, obviously, but right. it just always works well. Yeah. And I was totally even thinking that you could even boil this down. I mean, not make this movie, but you can make a movie. I think even, even not a supernatural or a horror movie, but you could just make a movie, and I think it'd be fascinating to make a little independent 80-minute movie that all takes place, you know, basically chronicles a Halloween party and just the, the conversations and relationships and whatever happens, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think you could definitely do something like that. It's it's really not the best movie, Trev. I don't know if you saw it a couple of years ago, that comedy fun size that came out. Yeah, I know of it, yeah. Yeah, it's not like the best movie but I went and saw it and enjoyed it just because it's all about basically kids going out, you know, getting into trouble on uh, Halloween. I kept, night, uh, you know? I kept almost pulling the trigger on watching it just because Jane Levy is in it, but yeah. I, I never quite, never quite got there. 
Um, but I think like, yeah, I was like, uh, you know, we're of that batch that around Halloween time, we want to watch a lot of horror films. And I think as you get closer to the day itself, these are the ones I really gravitate towards the movies that take place on Halloween, just because there's something, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but there's something mentally that just feels right about watching movies set on Halloween on Halloween. I just think it, you know, you feel like a more in the vibe of it and you kind of imagine this is happening somewhere. I, I agree. Cause, cause you're kind of already seeing the decorations around your town and whatnot and so here, here we have Sherry Belafonte acting, you know, like she's really going <clears> to, <throat> excuse me, like she's going to give it up to LeVar Burton, but it turns out all she wants to do is bite him. Mm-hmm. And they even sell, they, there's a brief moment there where it's sell, sold as kind of orgasmic. Right. So now they go to the, um, the uh, Phil and, and the, why do I keep blanking? I'm sorry, what is her name again? Is it Sandy? Sandy. So yeah. yeah. Phil and Sandy, they, she wants to go to the malt shop. So they go to where the mall shop used to be, and that's where the local multiplex is. And there's, it's a, it looks like a five-screen multiplex, and there's uh, basically fake horror movie tiles that I could gather. I didn't recognize any of yeah, them. Yeah, I was actually surprised they didn't use real ones. Yeah. There's a rare moment of like self-restraint where they didn't want to date the film. Right. I, I think one that they should have done, that they kind of used earlier, like the, early, like the very first scene where they're at the school... There was Dee Dee Pfeiffer and Sherry Belafonte were playing a game of Hangman, and the phrase was "Ghouls just want to have fun." Mm-hmm. And I think they should have used save that and use it for one of the marquee titles. <laughs> I would go see a movie called "Ghouls Just Want to Have Fun." Well, if you actually go look this movie up on uh, on Wikipedia, the in, in lieu of a movie poster, they have one of the like TV guide, you know newspaper ads that ran for it right and and the tagline on that is ghouls just want to have fun so they they definitely incorporate that into the marketing yeah you're right i I did see that yeah it's on imdb and did you see the weird um there was a vhs of it abc video i'm looking at it it's it's got a cover that looks almost and i'm sure this wasn't like intentional but it's got a cover that looks almost just like night of the creeps because it's it's got him uh, Phil and Sandy on the cover, and he's like kind of in the it look, you know it looks like a tuxedo, and he's got the the rifle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Totally looks like you know, uh, Night of the Creeps. But yeah, and there's a I'm gonna look it up real quick. So they have like a slow dance just outside the movie theater here. But I'm gonna look it up. Should have uh, brought this up um, earlier, but. There's like some uh, foreign releases of this, which I can't verify well, the quality of them or whatever. But there's um, there's some uh, like alternate titles. Let me see if I can find them here in a second. I like this shot. Like crane shots in a, in general are kind of like overused or whatever. But I thought actually there were some great crane shots in this one. The crane shot where the guy got attacked by the werewolf. And mm-hmm. also this one here, where like it comes down on them, like you see the car and they're dancing in the parking lot, and it kind of comes around on them. Okay, yeah, this this is this is what I was talking about, Trev, with the the whatever. There, there's like some that have like this just drawing of this this beast, which I can't tell if it's a you know a, a uh, like a werewolf or what it is, but apparently there's some artwork, but. In some countries, specifically, because this is coming from Germany, the return of the living zombies, <laughs> which which I guess was a foreign title for this release. So, I mean, maybe it did play in theaters elsewhere, um, but definitely. 
definitely riding the uh, trying to cash in on Return of the Living Dead uh, phenomena. Oh, she's so seductive putting on that tiny bit of lipstick, huh? I mean that's a for you know for a fifties girl I guess that's a yeah. that's a big move. So they're going out to I forget what they call it lookout point or whatever. So they go out there and obviously nobody's there anymore. Like she thinks it's going to be hopping, which I thought was weird because like why do you want to go make out in front of like twenty other people? But yeah, she's surprised there's nobody there. But I mean even this, and I'm assuming this is like a backlot deal too. But you know the the little whatever pond and the the bridge over it and all that kind of stuff the wooden bridge over it i thought this was a great atmospheric setting you know and travel okay like let's just break this down for a second like look at the lighting here it's supposed to be nighttime moonlight lighting but it's it's very kind of normal and i mean there are some like source lights around like i think there's some bridge lights and stuff but, like, you can see everything very clearly. Like, I feel like modern movies don't know how to light outdoor nighttime scenes. Like, they go overboard or they do, like, this weird thing where they overlight it. And then, like, in post, they just turn it all, like, really unnaturally blue. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, but I, I think this is kind of the perfect, like, nighttime outdoor. Aren't they, they do that annoying thing that I hate. I'm sure you do, too, where, like, the screen's too dark and they do that, like, kind of optical effect to, like, brighten the center of where you're supposed to be looking at something. Where you can right. see that kind of, like, yeah. circle of light around something. And mm -hmm. I, it's always super distracting. Ooh, it's like, I, I hate that so much. <laughs> I but I think, I think to really um, portray nighttime... And, I'm, and obviously, I'm not saying this is what it would look like to your naked eye if you're there, but they obviously put a lot of shadows in there. So there's like lit up areas where you can see them, but there's also a lot of shadows on their faces and whatever. I think that's kind of sells nighttime more than just dimming everything down to where you can barely see anything, you know? By the way, he's talking about Sandy going like making a move, man. She, yeah. like, right away, she's just like, let's get in the back seat. She's, she's ready to go. Yeah, like, yeah, like in the back seat, moving fast. And here comes, the, I, I, I'll call him the second wolf man, because this isn't the full on naked furry beast wolf man from the graveyard. This is actually the hillbilly guy, I believe, who got mm -hmm. um, bit and turned into werewolf himself. And, and, and actually, both wolf men, but maybe a little bit more here. Uh, I thought both of the wolf men, Makeups kind of um, remind me a little bit of the Ozzy Osbourne "Bark at the Moon" video. Did you get oh, that? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I did. Now you said it. Yeah. Yeah. It was really great. It was really great. And I don't know exactly who did the effects for this. I was reading just some basic general background info, and it was talking more about the zombies. But it said they got the same person who did it for Thriller, which I don't know who that is offhand. But uh, yeah, like. I think it's kind of the thing too, you know. We can't go one episode without bringing it up, but um, again, practical effects over CGI for creatures, you know, like, like to me, this is so much better. Here we have yeah, the Wolfman falls in the water and gets out. You can never recreate this accurately with a CGI creature, you know. Yeah, I mean, just look and look how great this looks. You know, the slow mo, him coming yeah. out of the water. This is genuinely, genuinely kind of again, kind of creepy looking and. Hey, Kurtwood Smith's finally back. Yeah, now we finally see Kurtwood Smith for his, like... This is scene two out of three for him for the movie. But the but the other guy, the older the other older uh, sheriff guy or deputy, whatever he is... Yeah, there's the dogs or the hillbilly guy. They, they yeah, found Yeah, I like hat. that detail. Yeah, yeah, I love that detail. And I love that they, like, the one actually drops the hat on the ground as they're talking. I don't right. know if that was planned or just a nice little happenstance, but... Yeah, but this older cop guy, he actually... I don't know his name offhand... 
but he actually played the cop who was investigating um, the string of murders in the movie The Boys Next Door with Maxwell Caulfield and Charlie Sheen. So I was like, I've never seen this guy in anything other than The Boys Next Door, and then I finally see him in another thing, and he's playing another cop. I found that interesting. I don't know if he was one of those dudes who, like, in the 80s, 70s, whatever, he just played cops nonstop. But it's funny how you can make a career out of playing just one profession back then. Maybe it's the same character. Maybe this is a shared universe. (laughs) It could be. So here we have Kurt Ward Smith in full on. He's not in that '70s show era. He's he's like really mode. He's like really in full on Clarence Boddicker, even with the voice. And he don't give a shit about Halloween, does he, Trev? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he's I mean, you know, out the ass. Yeah, he's the old cop in a, in a horror movie. You know, he's got to just be. He's got to have a stick up his ass and mm-hmm. not listen to any of these threats. Take him seriously. Hell no. Yeah, I mean, the guy comes. His his you know. There, there's a great scene, you know, basically what happens is the wolfman was on top of the car. He tore through the car, you know, the convertible roof. He tore up Paul's sleeve. I mean, this guy's, like, all ripped up, and, like, they're they're not buying none of it. He's not even really, what's interesting is he's not even really questioning who this girl is. And you would imagine in a town like this, they'd be like, hey, who are you? Because everyone seems to know everybody, but... Man, that shitty grin on him—that—that's—that's that's full on Clarence Boddicker. This was this, in a weird way, this this was his uh, warm up for Clarence Boddicker. Bitches leave, <laughs> full on <laughs> character. So yeah, so they're basically trying to break this down, trying to figure out, and I think this is where you get a lot of the exposition. Where she finally, because we're we're kind of coming down the home stretch already, from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It moves this way. Moves at a at a good clip, you know. Yeah, and uh, maybe I was just like too wrapped up and enjoying it when I watched it, or even now, Trev. But I never really noticed where the commercial breaks would have been. Did you? No, they're not. They're they're not very apparent. I mean, I've watched like you know like sci-fi channel movies in recent years where it's like more obvious, like where the the commercial breaks fit in but that's the only thing i could think is maybe they're on well no that wouldn't make sense i was gonna say maybe on the real changes but yeah that'd be a long time to wait for a commercial break so i have a feeling when you watch this on tv back then maybe those commercial breaks felt really abrupt and jarring the only other thing i could think of is like how salem's lot the miniseries had like a like a theatrical edit if maybe they did a theatrical edit to like maybe what we're watching is a theatrical edit where they intentionally went out of their way to like disguise that you know what i mean yeah again just just great ambience with the uh the small town here but um but yeah like like this is the kind of the kind of movie that i totally think um you know, there definitely should be more of, um, and I kind of don't get why. I mean, do you know, Trev, of any, like, kind of, because there's a ton of, um, cable, like, you know, like, ABC Family or Freeform or whatever they call them now, like, there's a ton of things where, like, I would think would be doing movies like this, but I, I don't know of any. Do you know of any, like, things like this that exist now, you know? Like this? No, not really. I mean, you don't get like, you know, and I mean, you had stuff like Halloween Town, like Disney Channel, like, and then recently I think, uh, what, either Disney, uh, yeah, it was Disney Channel did a movie called like Zombie, Zombies, that was like a musical. Right. So, but I don't know. I, 
I have a feeling I can't say for sure, but I don't know if you noticed this too. Go like because for a while I was bemoaning how Halloween seemed to be a dying holiday. It was. It really was. It was really kind of going away, and I and I I'm kind of happy to report that it seems like it's coming back. I feel like it's right. in the last couple of years it's it's getting a lot more attention, and you know we're getting maybe it's just because the horror genre is on a boom period again, but. I've noticed more Halloween programming kind of popping up, you know, recent years and more horror films coming out around the same, the right time in theaters. And people, I see more stuff online, people getting excited about Halloween stores kind of opening up, you know, in late August at this point. So maybe someone will actually think about trying something like this again, having like a kind of Halloween TV special. And I would think, especially, you know, and granted, this is a very high budget thing. I mean, to me, this is... This actually looks better than a lot of theatrical films that I own from this time period. But um, I would think whatever monetary investment you make in making something like this, if you make it high quality, special effects, budget, you know, get some, you know, recognizable actors, whatever, I would think you'd be able to, like, kind of, especially, you know, if you're kind of network that shows, like, commercials as well, I would think you'd be able to recoup that just by... replaying i mean like yeah like disney channel or whatever like they do hocus pocus nonstop every halloween or whatever they do but like you think if you're a channel you would want to kind of create your own film like that that you could replay year in year out multiple times throughout the the halloween season you know Mm -hmm. so now now we are getting into the 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 scene here which is straight up i believe it's just straight up Hey, let's let's uh, throw a bit of thriller into our TV movie here. Yeah, and I also wonder, like, was this meant to be like a marketing tool? Like, we can we can get a hit single out of this film as well, you know, right. and kind of th- throw this on TV. But uh, I have to say, this the the song's called "Get Dead." It's performed by Sherry Belafonte. It is kind of a banger. Like, it's it's a catchy it's tune. Yeah. And uh, the dance moves are definitely like, yeah, they're definitely trying to get their own thriller dance kind of craze going here. Yeah, I, I will note it's interesting that the the very first dance move is is uh you know like being hung by a noose, which I thought was a pretty intense kind of thing to put on. But and this song also makes Lavar Burton wake up as a vampire. He starts kind yep. of jiggling his neck and stuff. Okay, what's with the football guy who's wears a diaper? Did you see that? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Even the zombies are into it dancing, and like especially the moment that like where like I mean I was definitely you know feeling the thriller vibe right here but like there'll be a shot coming up where like everybody went upstairs just so they could come down the stairs in unison doing the dance mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> when i was like i really was getting a thriller vibe off that yeah i mean the movie basically just grinds to a halt to be a music video for a bit right yeah it does and i guess, i guess you could accuse it of like this kind of being you know the the most i guess obvious filler moment of this you know what i mean but I don't know. At the same time, like I don't think it betrays really the movie that much because there, there is like with the zombies that you know are always goofing around and having fun. I mean, this movie does have that fun element to it. It's not. Yeah, and at the same time, I think it's it's one of the most memorable moments of the film. Like it's one of the things I remembered about it for me when I was a kid. So right. yeah, here's the thriller moment coming down the stairs. Everybody with their hands up in the air, doing like an obvious, you know, zombie type mm-hmm. walk. Now, um, what's interesting is, like, there's a lot of people that still haven't turned into anything, like Peter DeLuise, uh, David Bowie, um, Dee Dee Pfeiffer is still human at this point, so I found it interesting that kind of everybody <laughs> went along with this dance number, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, it's a great moment of like human zombie vampire, you know, coexistence and cooperation. Right. We could all we could all as a society, we could all learn something from that scene. Now, going back to giving it some props, there was a, like this was a sequence that I thought was very simple but effective. Like you have them, he goes to his dad's dentist office where I guess they they melted down a lot of silver for um, you know silver fillings. So the rifle he he, he got a rifle um, kind of like a bolt action a hunting rifle out of the hillbilly guy's truck. And uh, he's melting down some silver, and he's dipping the bullets in the silver so he can kill the werewolf. And there's kind of a, a cool scene where you know he's very intently studying what he's doing, and then some somebody's creeping up from him. Uh, Sandy kind of goes out of the room to go check something or something, and you see somebody uh, creeping up on him. And just the way like this is like played out, they keep going back to the shots of him dipping in there. I thought it did a good job of. Um, like building up the tension here because i was like really curious like who was creeping up on him and i think the reveal is like pretty it's kind of hilarious because of who the actor is but it's kind of cool too it actually is his dad dick van patten who's like uh, uh i guess he's a vampire i thought he was a zombie but he actually has vampire teeth mm-hmm. and he's got the drill in his hand you know he's like threatening him kind of i thought that was a great little suspense scene so here we have Sherry Belafonte taking Peter DeLuise up on the roof to obviously turn him into a vampire or whatever. And like, like yeah, like I, I really like, like I was surprised. Like I really thought something kinky was going to happen right here. Well, it's another moment where they said like, this is a moment where you could play Peter DeLuise is like just the, the jock who's like, yeah, all right, this is great. But he actually is like, no, 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 that's, you're dating my friend and I don't want to betray my friend. That, you know, it makes him, uh, gives him kind of a likable moment. He's kind of turning down her advances exactly i have to say i wouldn't be as honorable as um, peter delicious <laughs> in this moment <laughs> i mean you know there's a curse it's halloween you could die at any moment i mean he doesn't know that but even you if also you could also just say look i was under the curse i couldn't control myself you That's know true. you got a built-in excuse yeah I don't know why, but 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 um, I always think women in vampire makeup is, are pretty attractive for some reason. I think it's just because the way, like, when they play, I don't know if it's, if it's the makeup, but they always play the part as, like, so overtly sexual. Right, you know, yeah. So aggressive. So here we have, and I thought this was interesting, too, because here his dad pulls up to the party. Uh, Peter DeLuise's dad, the, the judge, uh, Kevin McCarthy, who at this point is like a ghoul because he got strangled to death by um, Nestor Vernon. And I thought this was kind of interesting because he was a drunk, he was drinking, he was intoxicated at the time he died. So he keeps crashing around and like it took me a while to get it that he's he's a monster who's drunk driving. Mm-hmm. I think I saw where the, the commercial break would have went right there because Dee Dee Pfeiffer walks out onto the patio after Peter DeLuise leaves and then sherry like throws her cape up and shows her vampire teeth and then kind of looks like there was like a quick flash and it cuts to another shot now if you want to talk about you know like we like the the tonal whiplash this film you know following the thriller sequence with which you know we mentioned some parts in this film actually get fairly dark you want dark let's give you dark yeah. let's give you a, a father brutally murdering his own son Exactly. In this fun ABC TV movie. <laughs> it's very fun, ABC. Because, like you said, it was the moment where he sees his dad pull up drunk, and he's like, oh, i got to go help my dad, you know? So he actually goes down there, and you could tell while he's walking there, he's, like, kind of holding his head. He, You know, he's like, oh, well, you know, 
this is going to go bad or whatever, think his dad's just going to be drunk driving. But yeah, Kevin McCarthy totally attacks him, tries to smash his head in with the, um, with the rock, breaks out the window of the car, and then um, totally uh, just, yeah, he kills him. I guess he kind of combination strangling and bashing his head in. He's got blood on his mouth. He's dead. Now we need and to this, talk. This moment is great. Yeah, I was going to say, so this is the moment where... You know, and they never did quite pay off. Like I guess they just ran out. Like he didn't have to. Uh, Phil didn't have to fight his dad, the the vampire dentist. I guess they just escaped. But now he's driving slowly through the town, and they're seeing all the people. Well, I guess just the regular ghouls, but also the regular people who have been turned into ghouls and the mischief. They're stealing statues. They're doing all kinds of weird stuff. But uh, a lot of zombies. It looks like we have civil war zombies, revolutionary war zombies walking around. And I gotta say, I don't know if you got this vibe, Trev, but this sequence, 100%, there's a wolfman climbing on a building, but 100%, I felt like this sequence reminded me of the beginning of uh, Romero's Land of the Dead. Yeah, I, I, I mean, Land of the Dead probably, I don't know if Romero was influenced by this. No, you know, no, no, but, I'm, I'm just yeah. saying, like, just as a viewer, a fan, this, you know, zombie milkman mm. pouring all the milk out. I'm just saying, like, it was just eerie to me how similar the sequences were. <clears throat> Yeah, I just think this moment is so odd, but that's what's great about it. It's just it's it's so oddball in this because you know it's it's in slow motion. We've got a lot of we have an opera singer, so we got like an opera backing to this, and then the the visuals of it, like the, the like you said, the zombie milkman has that red smoke behind him. Mm-hmm. This whole sequence, just this whole montage, is just so. I mean, it's just so creepy and like interesting and it looks cool. And I don't feel like you'd have a scene like this in most movies of this kind. So I, I got to give it to Jack Bender for you know slowing the movie down for a moment to have this this montage yeah it's it's and yeah here, here here i mean i don't know if this was meant to be humorous or what but yeah the the wolfman actually pulls out a fire hydrant water spraying everything. like i just love the chaos of it um you know kind of like like this is almost like a hell on earth montage and i think you kind of need that in these movies and maybe some modern movies don't you know, there's there's a lot of modern movies, horror movies, whatever, that, you know, it's always about the race against time to stop something from happening. Whereas I like this movie, how it's structured. Yeah, here's the cops. So Kurt Worth Smith is a zombie with his hand on fire. I thought that was an impressive fire effect. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was a foamy hand or he just had the gel on or what. But I think this movie does a cool job and what kind of sets it apart is... It's not about the threat of what could happen or what's going to happen. It's It actually just happened, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like for this character, you know, it's this town that he loves and all these people he loves. He's he's lost it all. It gets yeah. it's all gone to hell, and just you know, it's he's got to fight back. But it's clearly almost a lost cause at this point. Yeah, here we see. I mean, we knew anyway because she got attacked, but we fully see Dee Dee Pfeiffer as a vampire now too. And like at he, this point, I feel like they could just lock those doors and attack everybody, but they like the systematic, you know, let's yeah. go through this one by one here. I think in a weird way, it's about like the in, taking your time, enjoying it. It's almost like the pageantry of it that the you know the main vampire lady you know likes. This being about their night. Yeah, we see Dee Dee Pfeiffer's about to bite sexy Frankenstein there. The only thing that I kind of, like, whatever is, unless I'm forgetting some dialogue or something, Trev, is, you know, because Sherry Belafonte is the descendant of the Lucinda lady. Like, there's never really a moment where the Lucinda lady really acknowledges that they're related, right? 
Um, I think it's kind of like insinuated somewhat when uh, when they're in the, like the bathroom together, but it's never like directly spoken. Yeah. Yeah. So here we have Phil and Sandy pulling them back up to the party. They're armed. They got the rifle. You know, they're gonna take care of business now. And I gotta say, like, there's something that's that's really weird here too. We'll see it in a second when it happens. Oh, you talking about the inside of the house? Yeah, like what happened? So, so at this point, I'm confused because this was like a, a kind of an old mansion that was like really super nice. So now they go in and it's like it's like a thriller house. It's just old, dusty. It looks like nobody's lived there for a hundred years. It's mm-hmm. a, I like I I was under the impression that that was Sherry Belafonte's house. Yeah, I was too. But then when this happened, I was like, "Wait, did I miss something? Was this like a a haunted, possessed house that they were just partying in? So it looked nice, but it was really old and decapitated. Um, not decapitated, but decrepit." Yeah, but, I remember watching it, wondering if there was like some kind of like time kind of thing going on here, where it's right. like they somehow go into like a time loop and they're there so many years after or something. But nope, it's just uh, I don't know. <laughs> they just decided the house they wanted the house to look creepier for this final act. Yeah, it's weird. Peter DeLuise had the bleeding eyes. He's back from the dead as a ghoul now. So, yeah, they pretty much see. But but now the little elf guy is kind of evil. Like, mm-hmm. it seems like it seems like all the ghouls now, even the fun-loving ones, have, like... It's kind of like a, a, a switch has been flipped and everybody's evil now. I like how Peter DeLuise jumped down the stairs and then there was a chair in the way, so he just ad-libbed throwing it against the wall. I really... Did you catch this, Trev? Because they need this certain ring to seal it back up. And because it, it was part of his costume, Peter DeLuise was wearing it. So they need to get the ring off his finger. And, like, he's reaching his hand through a door. So Sandy grabs a cleaver just to chop his finger or hand off. But Phil, because it's his friend, he doesn't want to do it. He takes a maple syrup, um, pancake mm-hmm. syrup, and uses it to grease it off his finger. I thought that was a cool touch that he was like, no, you know, he's like he still doesn't want to hurt anybody you know yeah he might be still thinking all oh, this i can reverse this or something i also just right. like that moment because there's just the, the i mean not humor but the convenience of thank god he's the guy that stuck his hand through the door since they need that ring that yeah. is true but, but at the same time as, as far as like giving chase he was the most physically whatever kind of jock prowess guy there mm-hmm so they get back in the car, and the the hot substitute teacher lady dressed as David Bowie is in the back car, and she's, you know, she was like the one person who got away. She's human, you know, or so we think here in a moment. But, but yeah, I thought that was interesting. Out of all the characters that kind of pop up like that, they picked her. Yeah, so like I think, like you said, it just almost feels like something's missing with her character, like the. Yeah. The through line from her being their new substitute teacher to being at the party, I feel like there's something in between that's not there to justify that and then to justify her being with them here at the end. Yeah. Not that I'm complaining because she's hot and whatever. Yeah, we definitely could get some modern love going on with that character. So, yeah, so they're going to break into the crypt, which I don't know if... I don't know if I just missed it, but I didn't understand why they had to break into the crypt to get to that guy's body to do this. But, yeah, she she turns out the substitute teacher is actually a vampire. They just didn't know it. 
And she actually got a stake through the chest. They knock her down, and uh, she falls on some like pile of sticks and gets actually impaled like a vampire through the heart. I thought this was interesting, too, that they go into the tomb, and then all the zombies and all the ghouls are coming into the more red smoke. It's almost like a trioxin 245 cloud going on. <laughs> but, yeah, it's like they have to get in here to like whatever but then they end up just going out to the car anyway did you really was this clear to you trev like why they were doing it this way and uh no i mean like the rules are shaky at best in this i think so best not to think about it they just they need some of that like they need some of like the the dirt yeah from the tomb but yeah because they need to seal the parchment back up with a candle and that's why they have to run back outside and she's like, no, they're already out there. But yeah, he he left the matches for the candle out. So I guess what they need to seal it with is a mixture of candle wax and dirt from this guy's, uh, gra- you know, really not a grave. It was a tomb inside. I'm pretty sure I would just find a way to start a fire in that tomb, you know? Yeah. You have a shotgun with you. That's That is true. No, that guy definitely for that. See that the the redneck guy, the hillbilly, he followed the werewolf rules because once they murder him, he goes back to being human, or his body does. But he goes back to being human with glasses on. I didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> did you notice that? Yeah. Because the werewolf, I mean, the guy did wear glasses when he was alive, but the werewolf didn't wear glasses. So yeah. So basically. And the logic kind of fell apart for me a little bit here, too, because we've already established that the, the hillbilly werewolf earlier tore apart, like, you know, the roof of the convertible. But here, like, the monsters and, like, all their survival depends on whether they're going to seal this shit up or not. Like, they're just kind of, like, play slapping, reaching through the holes in the roof, but they're not really getting them or grabbing them too hard. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so now now it shows you need this ring um, to you know press in the seal because it's not just that you're sealing it up with the wax. You need the seal of I guess what what would they call that guy back in the day? Wouldn't that be that that guy's position be like the Witchfinder General or something like that? Ooh, Vincent Price. Yeah, something like that. But um, I like the vampire lady just flapping her wings, <laughs> her cape. Yeah, all the zombies. Kind of the end of Thriller there, too. Yeah. I do like this, like, you know, for this, for like the slight, you know, emotional beat of it, the fact that Sandy, like, kind of sacrifices herself and, yeah. you know, you know, gives herself up to save Phil. I just think, like, if you, if you find, if you find yourself at all connected to these characters, even a silly little movie like this, it does work. And I, I feel for them at the end. Oh, yeah. I liked her a lot. Like, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm Mr., you know, uh, like basically everything did get reversed nobody turned into a ghoul everybody you know but it also meant that sandy had to go back to being a you know ghost or in the grave or whatever well see and i wonder about that because like that's what i mean about i i guess it's up to you kind of how cynical is this film because is it ever stated exactly that if they reverse this that none of this will have happened no i'm not sure if they were say that because we see that the top of the car has been fixed but one thing this movie is oddly missing is we never find out is everyone still alive or is there an extra beat missing where he drives back to town and it's like, oops, you're still the only person left alive in this town. That is true. Cause it kind of just ends in a second here. But the, uh, but I mean, everybody disappeared and the dead werewolf guy that was on the ground, he disappeared too. Mm-hmm. And the flash of white or whatever. 
But it, what, what did you think, Trev? Because, like, they're pressing the seal down, and it's, like, not really working. And I didn't know if it was, like, the wax needed to dry, or is it just because she finally, like, was it her love? She says she loves them and stuff. Like, what do you think finally made it kick in and work and fix it? Yeah, sure. Let's go with that. Let's go with the power of love. Why not? Huey Lewis, the power of love. So, yeah, she, she, so he goes over and sees a grave that has his jacket that Sandy was wearing. Yeah, that's, of course, like a nod to a famous, you know, kind of urban legend. I'm sure you know this, like, you know, the guy picks up the girl hitchhiking and lets her borrow his jacket. And then when he goes to her house the next day to get the jacket, the parents are like, oh, no, like she died years ago. And he goes to the cemetery and his jacket's on the gravestone. It's just one of those old stories gets passed down, you know. And she also, with lipstick, put her initials plus his initials. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, like his clothes are fixed. It's not ripped up. His car is not ripped up. It's not dented from... uh, the one guy drove into him at one point, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah, so I guess you can assume that everything is fine, but uh, it's just interesting that the movie doesn't confirm that. And I, I thought this was weird, too, that he's leaving the graveyard, he stops, he's kind of having, like, that moment of relief. And then, like, I didn't really get the significance of him putting the top down on the convertible. Did I miss something with him and Sandy with that, or was it just... Yeah, I mean, he just wants to look cool as he drives off, man. <laughs> yeah. Gotta get that wind in his hair. When you got, like, 80s hair like that, you want to show it off. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, like, I just took it from the, the expositional dialogue that him and Sandy had earlier was that you had to reverse it before midnight on Halloween or else I think all the people... I don't think he necessarily said that the people who died would come back, but I think they said, or else you know, the people who died during this night would um, would return later, you know, like they'd be doomed to kind of keep repeating this over and over. But yeah, I don't, I don't really. think she ever explicitly stated, like, hey, this will reverse everything. I could be wrong, though. But We needed a midnight hour, too, where we revealed that, you know, <laughs> Phil's, Phil's in prison because he everyone thought he murdered this entire town. Exactly. <laughs> the only survivor of Halloween night in 1985. Yeah. Y- you could do it. That would actually be a good setup for a sequel. So, yeah, so we had that moment where, yeah, he flips on the radio and Wolfman, what actually what it was while he's putting the top down was Wolfman Jack says that, you know, a girl, I think he even says Sandy wanted to dedicate this and it's one of the classic mm-hmm. love songs from the 50s. Well, it's a nice, like, it's a nice little, uh, that's a, another nice moment, I think, that kind of shows some thought put into the, uh, well, that's interesting, LeVar is kind of lowercase, it's the only thing lowercase there in the names, mm-hmm. but anyways, um, Earlier, when he when he first met her, he was playing the uh, the Del Shannon version of Sea of Love, and she kind of talks about how she's, oh, I wish that they should have never remade that song. Yeah. And of course, the original version of that song came out in 1959, the Phil Phillips version, and it, we see that that's the year she died, so that's the version she remembers, and then that's what right. she has dedicated to him. I will say I, I agree with you that I like the score, but I don't. This this final music plays over the end credits. Talk about a kind of a mood killer in a way because it's just a little too upbeat, you know, to yeah. kind of to send you home on. But, but I, I guess you're supposed to be rolling with the happy ending, but I don't know. You're supposed to be lifted up, but yeah, I mean, I, I like because I know we had talked about this before, and I can't remember you had watched this before, hadn't you, Trev? Yeah, like I said, I, I definitely it was something I remembered from it as a kid. It was uh, it was something I saw a few times as a kid, and then kind of revisited recently. And I kind of brought it to you, as saying this is something I think would be a fun one to do for Halloween, just because I do think it's a bummer that it's been a little forgotten, and it's yeah. it doesn't it doesn't still enjoy those annual airings. So you'd think like I because it's odd that 
I don't know if I was ABC family, I'd still put this on a couple times every October. You know, oh, it's yeah, not sure. it's not too dated or anything. I think it no. could still work. Yeah, and it just I don't know, like you said it, it, I mean, I don't know, like maybe maybe it got deemed at some point as being too violent. <laughs> because it's something that definitely sucks you in thinking it's going to be for kids, maybe even little kids. But like pretty much once you get to the scene, I think of Kevin McCarthy whipping the shit out of Peter DeLuise being the drunken father. I think I think that's kind of the hint of, you know, shit to come in it. But I mean, I legit like it as like a movie and like there's like a few moments or you know watching it for the first time the other night um just getting like legit tension and stuff like i thought it was really well done i couldn't believe how like good it looked in terms of budget and everything so Mm -hmm. i mean yeah i definitely would um definitely would go uh for like a really high quality blu-ray release of this and like in a weird way i I wouldn't mind if somebody even gave this a stab at remaking it to be honest yeah i mean i don't know like if you're someone who you know hasn't seen this movie and i don't know why you'd still be listening to us at that point this point if you (laughs) are but but uh you know if you're if you're like us and you like those movies like monster squad and you know halloween 3 and those just kind of you know if you're into halloween films and this is one you haven't got to check out yet i think it is like a treat for just monster fans and horror fans that like stuff a little bit on the lighter side but like i said it straddles that line pretty well and and it is also just a nice time capsule of a, a time when we got these kind of TV movies that, you know, didn't have the huge expectations of theatrical release, but were a little better than what you might expect as like a straight to streaming movie now. So right, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like I mean, let's not, you know, I mean, unless it's something like you know something that like Netflix acquired or put a lot of, you know, until very recently, you know, all streaming movies were very low budget affairs, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But in general, just as far as TV productions, whatever, like, yeah, I don't think you're going to... Like, I wouldn't even be surprised if this costs more than something like, you know, say, Fright Night from the era, you know, I think... Yeah, well, and then... Like, definitely our, bigger you know, budget than Friday the 13th, I think. Yeah, like, at our younger... Like, the younger viewers who might wonder why were they doing these kind of TV movies, don't forget that back then there was only a few channels, so... Right. This movie, you know, on a Friday night, there wasn't 300 other channels competing for its attention, and there wasn't streaming services, and there wasn't a lot of home video available yet. So this probably had a really decent audience that night. So it makes sense that they put a lot of effort into it. Yeah, I mean, I'm still baffled by the November 1st <laughs> airing date. But, yeah. Know. I, I, I guess that's kind of, I guess the one thing that's kind of nice about that is, I, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people, maybe you are too, that I always feel a little bummed out on November 1st because yes, it is yes. the end of the season. So this, you know, maybe putting this on that night kind of, you know, it extended it by one day. You yeah. had a little bonus Halloween treat the night after. So Yeah, I call it the Halloween hangover and I don't, I, I don't think this trend was going on back then. It definitely goes on now and I don't get it, but um Maybe they were going for the Halloween party crowd as well, because lots of people, if say Halloween, like in this case, was on a Thursday that 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 year, sometimes people will just you know still have a party after. Like I see people getting dressed up and going out to Halloween parties on weekends now, when it's like November third or fourth. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I think that is. I mean, I have a buddy who does that every year. He has he has an annual weekend after Halloween party, and his rationale being, and it's accurate, that you. There's a lot of Halloween parties competing for your attention uh, during October. So he says, well, we'll just make sure ours is after and you can come to that one as well. And I think, you know, like 
I know Cedar Point and Universal and Knott's Berry Farm, they keep their Halloween stuff going through November. So I think there is like an audience that wants that extended a little bit. I think that's I think it's maybe because, you know, there's Thanksgiving in, in November, but otherwise November has this kind of dearth where October is Halloween and December is Christmas, but you know, November is just that one day where you eat a bunch of turkey. So let's just let Halloween live on a little longer. Exactly. And put off Christmas because Christmas is super annoying when it gets going too early. <laughs> yeah, like I, I do, I do really enjoy the the Christmas uh, holiday season, especially with the decorations and stuff. But I really don't want to see anything really before December fifth. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I've always been like, you know, when I when we were growing up, the the mentality was always that stuff starts the day after Thanksgiving, and that's yeah. kind of I still kind of then my my mental capability can't handle much more than that. Yeah. So that's it, guys, for the Midnight Hour. We enjoyed it a lot. Hope you guys enjoyed If you end up checking it out on YouTube or some other venue, however it's available to you guys. Again, uh, I guess this is our kind of kickoff for the the Halloween season. Uh, we'll have some more stuff coming down the pipeline for sure before the holiday. But, yeah, in general, uh, yeah, I think this is a nice one to get you in the mood. So, Trev, I want to say thank you for not only just, you know, doing the episode or whatever, but also for bringing this one to my attention because this one totally somehow, you know, since 1985 eluded my uh, radar. So, definitely. And and now it's just the, the gnawing, clawing feeling of, like, how the hell am I going to get a good quality copy of this? Because, like, this is definitely <laughs> something I would love to make almost a yearly tradition to watch this for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let's ask all our like uh, let's ask all our listeners to you know get on Twitter and at Scream Factory and <laughs> at Real Scream Factory. Please, yeah, maybe we please, <laughs> please make the midnight hour. <laughs> maybe we can uh, convince them there's a following for this to to make it worth it to deal with the legal morass that I'm sure is yeah. the music rights. And you know, like you know how they're always like you know to to you know video companies are always like to get the music rights blah blah blah. I would I would just be like, okay, just just say you're going to have to charge forty bucks for this. Do a pre order. I would do it if that was the reason you were up front. And you were going to do a very high quality version. I would just would do it because I'm at the point now where I I don't have too much shelf space left to buy movies, and I'm almost to the point where I kind of even even if it's something I like, if it's not something I love, I shy away from buying something on the cheap. So I'm yeah. all about at this point quality over quantity. So, yep. so that's it, guys. We'll have more stuff coming, as always. We've been pretty good lately, actually, about getting a couple episodes out a month. Uh, hopefully, we can keep that up. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the Halloween season. Hopefully, you guys... Uh, I don't even know if we want to mention it, because it seems like it's the darkest days of X-Men. But <laughs> yeah. Talk about your podcast for a second, Trev, and what you and Joe got going on currently. Uh, well, yeah, so we, uh, Days of Future podcast, me and my buddy Joe, it's our regular bi-weekly podcast all about all things X-Men. We talk the movies, the comics, the shows, and everything in between, and, uh, yeah, I don't know, I think we're, we're still having fun doing it. Um, <laughs> the movie franchise has seen better days, for sure, but, yeah. you know, we were kind of in the, well, I mean, we were in the minority of not really digging Deadpool 2 that much, everyone else seemed to, to like it a lot, so whatever, but, um... But, you know, we've we've been talking a lot lately about that kind of what's happening with the Fox movies and what will that look like going into MCU. But as we're killing time waiting for that to happen, there's still plenty of comics to talk. We got The Gifted just came back. 
we'll be doing our regular Halloween episode, which this year will be dedicated to a uh, an X Men story that kind of deals with the undead. So you know, there's there's enough for us to go. Uh, we're not letting Fox's shenanigans get us down too much. Quick question before we sign off: Have you ever dressed for Halloween as an X Men character? I have not, oddly enough. Uh, I don't know if I've ever done. I no, I was. I was Clark Kent uh, turning into Superman one year. Nice. So you had the clothes being ripped open with the Superman. Yep. Yep. Going yep. Yeah, and then uh, you know what? I might as well just say it because who cares? Our audience will appreciate it. Then, as the night wore on, I decided I wanted to like shake it up a little bit, and I actually put a bunch of blood all over the top of my head, and I said that I was going as George Reeves. So, oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's some real Hollywood Hollywood land type shit right there. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you gotta, you know, you get bored with your own costume at a certain point, so. Yeah. So yeah, but actually, well, I guess technically I am going as a comic book character for Halloween this year, as you yeah, saw. I'm I was going to mention that here. So, my yeah. my my Halloween costume this year is Archie Andrews. Uh, yeah. I mean the Riverdale version, but it's all the same at the end of the day. Who I mistakenly identified as the, the Scott from Team Wolf. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I don't. Th- um, well. I'm not gonna like bullshit you and give you false hope. I'm I, I will not have a Halloween costume this year. I just don't just don't do it. But I but I will be watching plenty of horror shit. I did buy a new Misfits jacket, so that's good enough. Hopefully that counts. Specifically a horror business jacket. And I was I, I got it about a week ago. I've been keeping it in closet. I want to break that out for October first. But uh, Are you gonna give you gonna give out uh, candy at your place or? Yeah, we usually do. I'm trying to think. Mm-hmm trying to think last year i don't know if we did maybe we went somewhere but yeah yeah i usually do there was one year i can't remember if it was last year or the year before it rained you know mm-hmm. i bought like whatever four bags of candy we don't get much here but many, many kids here but yeah like i get like nobody came it just rained the whole night nobody came mm-hmm. it really yeah. sucked but anyway yeah hopefully that don't happen this year but yeah everybody thanks for listening enjoy your halloween season and we see you next time right here in the movie graveyard you're listening to the electronic media collective podcast network for more great shows visit electronicmediacollective.com